mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces to the mind known as defilements or kilesis that we suffer. So when we hear this declaration from the Buddha, if we can believe it, then we reflect on our own experience of today and we see that when we felt frustrated or disappointed or a sense of struggle or anxious or doubtful or angry or irritated or depressed or despairing or fill in the blank, whatever, whatever your particular habit tends to be, that level of suffering, that kind of suffering, was caused by a temporary visitor to the mind. It's not who you are. It's not part of you. It's not an inherent anything about you. It's just a visitor to the mind. This is what the Buddha said. So if we can hear this and take it in, we could want to know, well, who are these visitors? How did they arrive? Who welcomed them in? (laughs) And what have we been feeding them that keeps them alive in our mind? And and how do we... uh, give them an eviction notice or something like that. How do we greet them, treat them, and wish them on their way? Because, as Saito Utejaniya says, it is not you who removes these defilements from the mind. Wisdom does that job. Okay. So when we take what the Buddha said and we take what Sarutajaniya has revealed, then it's not that we're doing something wrong or that we need to do something else to get rid of these tormented states of mind. It's that, that there isn't the wisdom in the mind to remove them from the mind. And so this gives us a direction for our practice if we practice so as to grow in understanding, understanding the nature of these defilements, these torments, these visitors, how they arise, what causes them, what conditions give rise to them, how they appear, how we act them out, how they are fueled, if we can understand this, then we can direct our attention to the causal conditions, remove them, and these tormenting states of mind will arise. So how should we understand these visitors to the mind? How do we see them? How do we recognize them? Well, I'm sure you've noticed that these visitors to the mind appear as thoughts, moods, emotions, assumptions, beliefs, um, 
rants in the mind, complaining in the mind, whinging and whining, oh poor me, self-pity, all, all kinds of, we, we can hear them in our mind. And so they appear as thoughts, beliefs, and they are, you know, reactive, habitual patterns that we're so used to, they're so familiar, we don't pay any attention to them anymore, we just suffer along with them. But there's a couple of conditions that are present with all of these uh, tormented states of mind, all of these defiled states of mind. One is that they're always rooted in delusion or ignorance of some sort. And we know this because, you know, when we're trying to pay attention to the present moment, try to recognize the present moment, inevitably we recognize times when the mind thinks about something. We don't know that it's thinking. We say that the mind has wandered off. Our attention just hasn't followed it. And the mind is caught up in this train of thought. And while we're caught up in that train of thought, we don't know that we're thinking. We don't know what we're thinking about. We don't know our age, our gender, our sex, our location. We don't know the time of day. We don't know our posture. We don't know anything. <laughs> we don't even know we're thinking. We don't know what we're thinking about. And we don't know if we like it, if it's a good thing to think about or a bad thing to think about. We don't. We're completely oblivious. Now, I'm not the only one that had that experience today, right? (laughs) This is called ignorance. Not that you are ignorant, it's just when ignorance is a ravija or lack of wisdom is present in the mind, this is what happens. We don't see even what's going on. The other thing that... accompanies all of these visitors to the mind is restlessness. Restlessness manifests as thinking. Just the mind just chewing along and ruminating and thinking and kind of just going here and going there. And so you can see that all of the all of the kinds of suffering that we feel is accompanied by this restless mind. Ruminating and remembering and scheming and strategizing and you know, proliferating thoughts of one kind or another, all of which cause us to suffer. Sometimes this um, restless, ignorant, deluded, wandering is accompanied by attachment. Some form of craving, attachment, being identified with something, uh, believing in something. And when... I mentioned this this afternoon in the questions. And when the mind is influenced by attachment, or when attachment arises in the mind, it causes the mind to see only the pleasant characteristics of what it's looking at. Or when aversion, which sometimes accompanies ignorance, when aversion arises in the mind, it causes the mind to see only the unpleasant characteristics of something. Now the interesting thing is, you know, 
we can look at someone, something, and when there's attachment in the mind, we say, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. I like this. I want more of this. And then when aversion is in the mind, we look at the same person, the same event, the same sunset, whatever. Aversion's in the mind, we go, ugh, ah, ugh, I don't, I want to get away from this. This is not, you know, and we think it's the person's fault. Or it's the, the food's fault. Or we think it's the, whatever it is that we're looking at. It's our mind. Being influenced by whatever has arisen in it, due to habit, due to deeply conditioned ways of reacting. And it's the same thing, and yet we can relate to it in two completely different ways. Under the influence of ignorance and these other accompanying defilements. So, aversion can sometimes appear in a very gross form as anger, rage, um, striking out, hatred. Sometimes we internalize aversion in the form of frustration, disappointment, despair, self-pity, grief. And sometimes we just push away from experience through impatience, irritation, fear, complaining, whining. And these are all forms of aversion that we all know very well. We've seen them in our mind. We've been caught in them over and over again. And it's, it's, it's really suffering. Desire, or attachment, of course, is longing for something that we don't have. Desiring, lusting, often manifesting as obsession, addiction, compulsion, uh, just the, the insatiable need to act, think, behave, misbehave in certain ways because that's what's commanding the mind. And this too is suffering. Now the thing about these habitu- deeply habituated ways of dealing with conditions in life is that they're so common and they've happened so often we come to accept them as part of ourselves, and we never give it a thought we just live with them like it's our skin it's the skin of our personality it, in fact they become our personality the particular matrix of you know confused deluded desire and attached thinking is a large part of our personality. And that's not to say that there aren't wholesome characteristics in our personality, but there's a pretty healthy, unskillful. And when we, and because we have seen these states of mind so frequently, if it's only a moment of impatience, you know, when a moment of impatience arises and we see it, we can recognize, oh, this is a moment of impatience. But when impatient has arisen, you know, dozens of times over dozens of months, over dozens of years, we can begin to think, geez, I'm always impatient. I'm always impatient. And that is just the beginning of a slippery slope into this belief, I'm an impatient person. Once we have this belief in our mind, I'm an impatient person, 
I'm a needy person, I'm a greedy person, I'm a angry person, I'm a you know lusty person, I'm a whatever. How however, once we get that belief in our mind, it's almost impossible to get out. Because those those qualities of mind will continue to arise. We'll still either act them out unconsciously, or if we have a little bit of awareness and exercise some restraint, we'll be obsessed with them. As if we want to act them out, but we're exercising some restraint. And, you know, like an alcoholic walking down Bourbon Street. You know, it's like there isn't any place you can go where you aren't going to be tempted or provoked into reacting internally in this way. It's not like you can control the world and say, don't show me anything that's going to cause me to get irritated or impatient <coughs> or self-pity or jealous, envious. The world does not comply with our wishes, as you discovered. It's only our own <coughs> mind. It's only becoming familiar with our own mind how these things work in our own mind, in our life, that we're going to be able to uh, get a handle on them. The danger of these qualities of mind and these habits of mind is that they, they course, they, they hinder our practice, because you know if we're if we're caught in doubt, or if doubt arises and we start speculating, well, does this practice really work? Maybe I should go to a Sufi camp this summer. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I mean, Sufi camps a lot of fun. I mean, you know, or maybe I should, you know, maybe I should go back to my old Tibetan practice or. This is hard. This is a lot of suffering. You know, and when you're caught in that kind of ruminating, speculative thing, you don't practice. You're not practicing awareness. You're trying to figure it out. And that's what, that's what doubt does. Doubt tries, doubt befuddles the mind and we, can't, we don't think we can practice until we figure it out, confirm, have some confidence. And so it hinders our practice. We just unplug from practice. If it doesn't hinder our practice, sometimes it obstructs our living life fully. For example, fear. I don't know if you've seen fear, but fear is this huge, potent force in our life that jerks us around in all kinds of, well, not necessarily skillful ways. Fear of change, Fear of vulnerability, fear of pain, fear of embarrassment, fear of failure, fear of being honest, fear, fear. I mean, it's just... It. And when we fear our life, or when we fear our experience of life, we, we, we gradually live in a smaller, more narrow, more constricted and confining area of our heart. And the, bond, the, bind, the binding, the bonds of fear are so tight and it takes so much courage and energy and resolve to loosen them up that we just succumb. We just, we just live in this narrow box of acceptable, non-fear, arousing, safe experiences. But, no matter how pervasive these habits of mind are, no matter how deeply rooted 
or how automatically they arise as our default setting in facing the world, they aren't accidental. They arise because the causes and conditions that give rise to them are present. And because of that, we can be mindful of them. These are not eternal conditions. They come together due to causes and conditions. And as we train in mindful awareness, we can begin to recognize them. We can see these experiences. We can see these reactive states of mind. We can begin to understand them through insight. We can pay attention to learn about their causes and conditions, what gives rise to them, how they, how we get hooked into these states of mind, how they confuse our thinking, how they undermine our practice, how they uh, cast a... It's kind of like a delusion over the mind. It's as if they enchant the mind. We hear the voice of self-pity, or we hear the voice of shame, or we hear the voice of humiliation in our, in our mind, kind of off the side, not quite really looking at it, but off the side. And it, can, it weaves this web of illusion, and we get cast under this spell, and we, don't, we, can't, we can't see out from underneath it. We're just lost in this woven web of, oh, poor me, and I'm so this, and I'm so that, and I'm so unhappy, and I'm so confused, and I'm so angry, and I'm so... And we know. We, we, I'm, I'm sure we've all seen this kind of mental behavior, even today. So because they uh, arise due to causing conditions, and we can become aware of them, we can also uh, understand them with wisdom. Now there are um, two kinds of ignorance. I talked about the ignorance that just befuddles the mind, just casts, this, casts a spell over the mind. We just don't see what we're thinking. We want to distinguish between what I'm going to call ignorance and delusion. Ignorance is when, you know, the mind wanders off while we're thinking we don't know it. But interestingly, when that stream of thought comes to an end or mindfulness arises and we kind of come back to our present moment experience, we can often remember everything we were just thinking about. The whole daydream just kind of goes in reverse. We see it. So the, there was some activity of the mind that was recording and registering everything we were thinking, even though there was no awareness of it at the time. What we're doing with this practice is we're trying to make the un, that which we are unaware of, we're trying to become aware of it. We're not trying to create a different story. We're not trying to stop the story. We're just trying to be aware of the stories in our mind. But there's another kind of delusion that we sometimes get entangled in, and that is when we see what's going on. We're, we're, we're connected with the present moment, but we misunderstand what we see. 
And as I mentioned, when we're looking at something through the lens of desire or attachment, we see only the pleasant. If we're looking at the same thing through the lens of aversion, we see only the unpleasant. This is delusion. We don't we don't under, we see what's going on, but we don't understand it correctly. And it isn't mindfulness that's going to kind of correct that delusion. It's insight. Mindfulness brings us out of the ignorance of not knowing, but it's wisdom that brings us out of the delusion of knowing wrongly. So there are three three degrees, really, of or three graded on the gradient scale of uh, these torments. There's three degrees. The the, the most harmful is trans when we when the, the when we act out these states of mind, when we act out our greed and aversion and delusion and we harm others by what we say, what we do. These uh, this is a transgressive defilement. It's transgressing against others, causing pain. And the the training that the Buddha offered to address that kind of suffering is the practice of the precepts. It's sila, or the practice of the precepts, where we we undertake the trainings to refrain from acting in certain ways that cause harm. And to the extent that we can do that, then we don't act out carelessly in a way that causes ourselves or others harm, and we get to enjoy a kind of happiness of at least feeling like we have some integrity within ourselves and some harmony in our relationships with others. And that's a level of happiness or ease in the world that a lot of people don't recognize and don't have the advantage of. But nevertheless, even if we're able to exercise that kind of restraint, um, our mind can be quite obsessed with what we want to say, what we want to do, what what we're thinking... And we can be steaming and frothing with desire and diversion and frustration and disappointment. And that level of suffering is kind of contained within, and you might not be acting it out or displaying it, but you're suffering inside. And the training that the Buddha offered for that is the practice of mindfulness. It's like being aware of these states of mind when they arise. Because as I explained earlier, or maybe in the group, I can't remember, um, to be caught in desire is painful when you can't get what you want. But to be aware that desire has arisen in the mind and it feels like this and it looks like that and you begin to observe it, the awareness of desire is a wholesome state of mind. It may not immediately be oh boy, great relief, but at least we're not acting, we're not obsessing about the object of our desire. So when we are caught in desire, the mind is focused on the object of desire, the event, the feeling, the behavior, the misbehavior, the person, the knowledge, or the experience. We're focused on that. And it's so pleasant that we we just caught. When we 
when we become aware of that state of mind, we step back and we see, wow, this is the nature of desire. It looks like this. It feels like that. It causes these kind of thoughts. This is what it feels like. And that gives us the relief, the relief of stepping out of that confusion and delusion and recognizing it as, oh, this is not me, this is not mine, this is it's happening due to causes and conditions, but I'm not entangled in it. And that mindfulness is the key to getting that much relief. We have to be on guard, we have to be mindful all the time because these things can arise at any moment. So the second training is the practice of mindfulness and the more continuously mindful we are, which is what we're doing here, we gain in stability of mind. We gain the stability of mind that's able to catch, notice, observe with some continuity. This is the collectedness of mind, concentration or samadhi. But nevertheless, even with... And that, when the mind is able to be present with any of these states of mind as they arise, there's some relief. We're not, we're not entangled in them, we're not obsessing, we're not entangled, and there's some relief. And this relief is called seclusion of mind. And it leads to a kind of tranquility. When we're not obsessed, we're a little more relaxed, a little more chilled out. And that kind of happiness, or that kind of experience, is, is also pretty rare in the world for those of us who are really stressed and really wound up and overwhelmed with events of life. Still, our mindfulness might not be continuous, and the Buddha offered a third training to address the potential within the mind to react in this way. And this is through the development of insight. And I'll be speaking about how we do this, but insight begins to understand the nature of these the nature of these states of mind, how they arise, the causes and conditions that give rise to them, how they make you feel in the body, how they make you feel in the heart, uh, how they affect your practice. And when we when we gain this understanding, we see the sense of self that is conditioned by the arising of these states of mind. So when we get caught in desire, there's a sense of ourself that is caught. Or when we get caught in fear, there's a sense of ourself that is constellated by this fear, or conditioned by this fear. And so, as we come to recognize these different sense of selves, or senses of ourself that, that get constellated, we begin to recognize, this is not me. This, this is not who I really am. This is not how I am. But it's how I appear due to causes and conditions in this moment. And once we see that, we can begin to even disentangle ourselves even more from not only that experience, but that sense of self. Oh, this is liberating, because we're no longer identified with, this is me, I'm feeling self-righteously anger, angry or, you know, because we're disappointed that we, that, that my idea of myself didn't get fed by something, someone. And so we see that sense of self kind of <clears throat> off to the side. And we say, wait a minute, if I'm not attached to that sense of self, I don't get caught in these things. 
this is liberating understanding. Not just because the conditions don't arise for you to react with some crazy defilement. Conditions are always changing and offering lots of opportunities for reacting. But it's because the sense of self that gets conditioned by those conditions, we don't get identified with. So we don't even we don't even lean into and we're not susceptible to these states of mind. This is when we begin to really disentangle uh, the, the misunderstanding in the heart that gives rise to getting hooked by these states of mind. So this is the practice of vipassana, or insight, that uh, purifies our understanding. Sila, or living in harmony, protect, purifies our speech and behavior from these defilements. Mindfulness purifies our mind momentarily of obsessing. Insight purifies our understanding so that we're no longer mistaken when mistakenly believing or assuming that this is who I am and I should be angry and I should be jealous and I should be fearful. I should. When that's removed because of understanding, then no one is caught in the illusion. No one is caught in this painful hallucination of suffering. These three trainings, in sila, mindfulness, and insight, are the three trainings of the Noble Eightfold Path. That's what we're doing. So, now that we know this much information, how do we work with these things? You know, we had plenty of opportunity today to see see them in one form or another uh, and probably tomorrow we'll see some more so how are we going to work with them well the first requirement is that we hear as much as we've heard already there are these visitors to the mind they cause a lot of suffering their names are fear, desire, jealousy, envy restlessness and now that we have heard now that we know we can recognize them but they happen so much and we're so familiar we're so tolerant of them even when they're happening we don't recognize them this is this is the problem <laughs> we don't rec- we don't recognize them when we're bored we don't recognize when we're and that's what mindfulness does mindfulness makes the experience known we experience life but we don't know it mindfulness recognizes this moment's experience and that's where we can begin to recognize the obvious habitual <coughs> ways of life that we have been indulging in without knowing it, but just suffering it. So to recognize them means to kind of come out of this enchantment and to see clearly, oh, this is what's going on here. You know, and just to name it, just to just to see the experience and just to name it. Oh, this is fear. I don't have to believe it. This is shame. I don't have to believe it. This is jealousy. I don't have to believe it. It's just, oh. Something is being known rather than I am it. When I am afraid, we don't recognize it. We're just acting it out. We're experiencing it and acting it out. Mindfulness steps back and says, 
Fear has arisen. Fear is being known. This is the beginning of working with these tormented states of mind, the defilements, to begin to recognize them, to own them, so to speak, and to say, I see it, it's happening. You know, it conditions a sense of self that is suffering. The second, that's the first, to recognize. The second element of working with them is to relax. Because so often, as soon as we kind of grok it, as soon as we get it that, oh, I've been caught in anger, I've been caught in shame, I've been caught in fear, we get, you know, we judge ourselves. We, we beat ourselves up, or we blame somebody, or we, we get anxious about this, I hope nobody else knows that I'm this kind of person, and whatever. And so we have a reaction of denial, avoidance, minimizing, explaining, justifying, defensiveness. And all those have to be seen and say, wait a minute, relax. This state of mind has arisen due to causes and conditions and deeply habituated pattern of conditioning. So when we relax, what we're saying is, okay, this is suffering, I'm willing to look at it, I don't have to judge myself for it, it's already doing its damaging work. I'm suffering. And to relax means to, I don't want to say accept, but to acknowledge, this is the way it is right now for me. In a kind of a a willing, not a resignation, but just a willing, you know, uh, truthfulness. There's this quality of mind that arises with with mindfulness. It's called ujukata. Ujukata is a factor of mind that is called straightness of mind. It means when mindfulness arises and this with some continuity and this ujukata grows in strength, you can no longer deceive yourself. You know, we can look at we can look at ourselves with all kinds of delusion and deny the obvious. The, the power of denial and, and delusion is infinite. Infinite. And so, mindfulness gradually erodes that willingness or capacity to delude ourselves, to deceive ourselves, to spin a story about ourselves contrary to what's actually happening. Now, Let's face it, we haven't always been mindful, we haven't always had this strength of mind, and things have happened to us, and we have done things in the past that pretty painful. Pretty painful. And maybe just to survive, at whatever age, with whatever behavior, whatever misbehavior, just to survive, we spun a story that kind of allowed us to survive. You know, we saw our behavior through the best light possible. And we made it. We grew into an adult. Now when we recover those memories or when we take a look and we see with mindfulness what was going on then, you know, I said this, I did that. Now I see, wow, I was really acting out of confusion, defensiveness, out of anger, out of shame, out of, you know, lack of respect for myself, for others, whatever it is. And we can see it. We can, we, can, we can open to that feeling. But earlier we couldn't. We didn't have the mindfulness. We didn't have the straightness of mind. We didn't have the, the strength of mind to bear with the actual experience. 
of that emotion, of that feeling. Now, we have a little more. So to relax. You know, as I mentioned um, earlier, Sadhguru says, the mind is not yours, but you're responsible for it. Meaning, stuff arises in the mind. You don't get to control that. But once it arises, whatever it is, then we have to do something about it. We'll either act it out, we'll exercise some restraint, we'll observe it, we'll understand it, we'll let it go. In some ways, we're going to have a relationship to, with, to whatever arises in the mind. It's either going to be one of awareness, or one unmindfulness and, and awareness, or it's going to be one of delusion. Through this practice, we take responsibility and deal with it, in, to some degree, by being aware. One thing to understand about these tormented states of mind when they arise is that one element, one condition that has to be present for them to arise is unwise attention. We're not paying careful attention. We're paying unwise attention. And the unwise attention means that we don't, we don't know how to understand this experience. And mostly, we take it personally. They said this, they hurt me. Now, when we hear the Buddha's teachings on right view, we understand that, no, it's not all about you. This idea of you, me, here, is a conditioned response, a conditioned belief. It's an assumption. And when we look carefully through practice, we'll see, no, that's right, it's not. But until we practice, until we hear this right view and practice with this right view, we are susceptible to wrong or unwise attention. So it's important to to understand that these qualities of mind, these visitors to the mind, can only arise when we're not paying wise attention to the conditions that give rise to them. Okay. So that means, as soon as we recognize them, and we relax, we don't add another layer of aversion to it, but we relax, and we start being mindful, we, we are slowly removing the fuel that keeps them going, that keeps them alive. Because they can only exist if you're not paying mindful attention. If you're not paying wise attention to them, they can grow if you start paying wise attention to them, you've removed their lifeline, so to speak. And they, they can't last that much longer. So to recognize these states of mind, to relax any defensiveness or uh, judgment about yourself that you might have, and then to exercise some restraint. Because so often these uh, defiled states of mind arise with a tremendous fiery need to be acted out. We want to act out our obsession. We want to act out our addiction. We want to act out our anger. We want to, we want to just get rid of it. We want to express it. We want to, you know, rather than just be with it like a passive receptor. I mean, we're not being passive, but when we're when we're being mindful. But the urge or the habit has been to act them out. So when we know that, when we know that there's the impulse, the Urgency is to act them out somehow as a way of dissipating the energy of them 
which is so unbearable when it's just in the mind. If we exercise some restraint, if we can remember this third step in working with them is to exercise restraint. And there's ways to do that. There's many ways to do that. One is to avoid the situations that provoke that particular kind of response, uh, to engage an antidote to suppress that kind of, you know, anger arises, do some metta, calm it down. Blaming arises, do some forgiveness. You know, fear arises, do some security practice, whatever that is, however you think of it. You know, doubt arises, do some faith-arousing reflections. So there's ways of exercising restraint, just chilling them out, calming them down, so that you're not just acting them out and strengthening them. Because to, to act them out only strengthens them. To ignore them also just strengthens them. Okay, so the third step is to exercise some restraint. Avoid, uh, to replace them with something else. Oftentimes, when the mind is inflamed with some hallucination like that, some enchanted uh, story about ourself, narrative, if you just open your eyes and name what you see, feel, hear. Just seeing, you know, trees, walls, light, people... Hearing, birds, breeze, water, okay? And feeling warm, cool, you know, hard, hot, soft. Just to do that takes your mind away from or, or, or the, the, the energy of that deluded state of mind. It's temporary, it's avoidance, it's kind of re- exercising some restraint, but it's immediate. When you talk out like that, just open your eyes and start naming what you see. That's a way. So once we've recognized them and we've relaxed any defensive, you know, agitation due to them and we've exercised some restraint, we're not acting them out, then we want to reframe our understanding. This is the fourth tool, the fourth mm, step in working with all of these states of mind. Because when they arise, they arise with you know, so much force and so much habit and so much familiarity. We think this is who I am, this is the way it's got to be, and we, we are fully justified in being angry and desiring, whatever. You know, we just, you know, or depressed, or whatever. We just, the belief is that I can't be mindful until I get rid of this. I, you know, I can't, I can't practice until I, I'm not sleepy. I can't practice until I'm not angry. I can't practice until, you know, whatever. And that's the wrong understanding. Because these states of mind are the very place that we have not yet learned how to be mindfully aware. So we want to reframe our understanding to say, oh, this is the very place. This is the very kind of experience that I want to really practice working with arousing awareness and to pay attention to them. Because we don't. And that's why they arise. And to the extent that we can reframe our understanding and proceed with confidence, or just to reframe it, allows us to uh, proceed with uh, some confidence. We should understand, though, you know, as I mentioned, that these these defilements arise due to causes and conditions. They're they're not a mistake. They're not a you know. They're not like they shouldn't be happening. 
they should be happening. Causes and conditions are there, they give rise to them. But when we understand that they are a natural activity of the mind, or natural activity of causes and conditions, then we know that we can be aware of them. They're not inherent in who we are. In fact, they offer an opportunity to cultivate awareness in a new, with a new experience, rather than an obstacle to our practice. So because they're habitual and really strong and frequent, we need to be patient. But because they're so inflammatory, we need to be persevering in our willingness to face them. Again, Sayadaw says, try to recognize that these defilements, they're simply defilements. They're not your defilement. Every time you identify yourself with them or reject them, you're only increasing their strength. The wandering mind, that's not a problem. Your attitude that it shouldn't be wandering, that's the problem. Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Yogis often make the mistake of expecting or hoping for good experiences rather than being willing and trying to work with the defilements. Now, isn't that true? You know, about six months ago you saw, oh, retreat, Cloud Mountain, nine days with Steve Armstrong. Oh, that'll, awareness, that'll be, that'll be fun. You know, kind of come and chill out and relax, open up and kind of like light, love, peace, space and kind of good community vibes and feelings and you know, that, right? That's, that's why we go on retreat, to kind of get, you know, kind of internal, internal washing. Yeah. Kind of cleaned up, cleaned up a little bit, right? You know, and then we come here, and what do we see? Compost. You know, we see all kinds of crap in here that we've got to deal with. You know, and that's what, that's what Utejani is saying. He says, people, you know, yogis often mistake or hope for good experiences rather than knowing that when they come on the retreat, it's 24-7 dealing with the defilements. If that's how they advertise retreats, <laughs> no, nobody would ever come, but that would be truthful advertising. Okay. Anyway. Again, Sadhguru says, as long as you're aware of the defilements, you're doing well. Hey, hey, hey. that's pretty good. I must have done really good today because I, I noticed that. <laughs> okay. So we recognize, here's this story, this narrative in the mind of suffering, some kind of suffering. We uh, kind of recognize it and we relax and just say, I don't need to add another layer of judgment on top of that. I don't need to get angry at myself for recognizing this experience. Uh, exercise some restraint. Don't act it out. Reframe your understanding. This is the very place for developing mindfulness, for, for trying to be mindfully aware. And the fifth step in working with them is to receive this state of mind, to receive the unique nature, to receive the characteristic of this experience. So what is the nature of uh, fear? Well, How are you going to know except to feel what fear feels like? I don't mean to just the story of your fear. We know the story of your fear is snakes, the dark, public speaking, whatever. But what does it feel like? You know, and is the fear of the dark any different than the fear of public speaking? 
Fear is fear. Okay, so can we can we encourage ourselves to receive, to willingly, openly receive this experience? Because when we do, what we are receiving is the nature of this defilement, the nature of desire, the nature of aversion, the nature of jealousy, the nature of... And they all have their natures, and they're all different. They feel a certain way in the heart, they feel a certain way in the... They condition certain sensations in the body, they condition certain kinds of thinking, uh, they, they treat your practice in a certain different ways, they, do, they, do, they have different effects on how you practice. Some of them last for a long time, some of them just are quick in passing... And when we are really committed to observing, remembering to recognize and observe these states of mind, then we can receive them. And if we can understand, oh, fear has arisen, fear is being known, receive its nature. It has a certain unique flavor, if you will. Fear has a different flavor than anger. Anger has a different flavor than desire. Desire has a different flavor than shame. How do you know? Feel it. Feel it with awareness. So what we're doing with this awareness practice is receiving the unique qualities of all of these states of mind. Use the appearance of the defilements as an opportunity to investigate their nature. Sayadotejana says, they are natural phenomena. They're not your defilement. Everyone experiences them. When there's attachment or aversion in the mind, always make that your primary object. Don't be led by greed and attachment. Take time to learn a little bit about greed. Pay attention to its characteristics. If you keep falling for greed and attachment, desire and lust, you'll never understand its nature. Don't try to avoid objects or experiences. Try to avoid getting entangled in the defilements. These are all Sagittarius wisdoms, questions of wisdom. So you can see that you know there's always going to be objects and events in life that we feel I don't want to have anything to do with. There's going to be other events and objects and people and experiences in life that we say yeah more. So we're not going to we're not going to avoid life's experiences, but we can learn to avoid becoming entangled with them through the defilements. We can begin to see things as they truly are, and when we allow ourselves to receive these, the nature of these mental states, these tormenting mental states. Now, i got to say, and I'll give you a fair warning, they're all unpleasant. They're all unpleasant. That's why we've avoided them. We don't like to be. We don't like to experience unpleasantness. So, you will have to consider if you're willing to experience unpleasantness openly. Just really. You know, we experience it unwillingly. But can you do it willingly? And most of us, it's, it's hard. I mean, you go get a deep tissue massage, you know, and they kind of jam their fingers or something into these <coughs> knots in your back and your legs, and you go, Ugh! 
And it feels so good. Well, that's what it's like receiving the feeling of these defilements. It's like they're painful. It's like too long. You just don't want to. You know, that's our natural reaction. But when you do and you open to it, you learn something about them that you can't get any other way. And what you realize, this is the sixth step in working with these torments six mind, you realize first they are all really unpleasant. We think when we're caught in desire, we think, yeah, this is really pleasant. Yeah, whatever it is you want. Whatever obsession or addiction or something that looks really attractive to you, it's because of the object. That's the nature of the object. The nature of the desire in the mind or the nature of the obsession is really painful. Unsatisfied desire is what makes the world go around. And around and around and around and around. But what you realize is this state of mind is unpleasant. It's really unsatisfactory. There's no mistaking it. And the second thing you you realize is it has arisen not because I want it to and I can't even make it go away. It has a life of its own. It's not me, it's not mine, it's not controllable. It arises due to causes and conditions. And the third knowledge that we gain about them, that we realize about them is they don't last very long. When you're willing to openly feel them, you feel them, they go. These three insights, they're really unsatisfactory. They arise due to causing conditions, not because I want them to or don't want them to, and they don't last, they're impermanent. These are the three insights of Vipassana. Anicca, Dukkha, Nanata. Impermanence, conditionality, and unsatisfactoriness. It is insight that is going to free the mind from entangling with experience through these defilements. In order to understand the defilements, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences, Sajjo says. If you understand the nature of the defilements, they will dissolve. And once you're able to handle them, good experiences will naturally follow. It is the wisdom of understanding these defilements that is going to free the mind from suffering. And the wisdom comes from willingly, openly, allowing yourself to feel them and to learn their nature, their unique nature, which is how they feel, but their universal nature, which is that they're conditioned, they're unsatisfactory, and they're impermanent. Always remember, Sado says, that it is not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does that job. And when you're continuously aware, wisdom will unfold naturally.
So let's sit and let the words settle into our hearts for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.